Well, guys, if you were here with us last week, here's, here's what you know. Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series where we are working our way through the book of Philippians. We did this exciting thing last week where we basically looked at some of the summary verses throughout the book of Philippians, where we stopped and we examined the things that the author, his name's Paul, that Paul said about his faith. And then we compare and contrasted them with our faith. Things like where Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Do I really feel like while I am in this life, I'm going to go all in with Jesus? And the day that death comes, I will embrace that as a long-awaited appointment to finally see face-to-face. Do I really view it that way? We talked about things like don't be anxious about anything. Really? Like anxious about nothing. How do we compare and contrast? We talked about things like, I have discovered the secret to contentment, right? This past weekend, I went out, hung out Cypress Bend Park. I don't know if you guys can tell with the lights. I have a gnarly sunburn, right? Does contentment apply to roasted skin, right? Now, it's kind of a joke. I don't think Paul meant that, right? But essentially, how do we come and everywhere that we see, Paul make these amazing faith statements. Why is it that you and I have this tendency to settle with yeah, but that was Paul. He was special. Here's what's true. Yes, Paul was special. God views you as special. He wants just as much intimacy, just as much fellowship, just as much faithfulness from you. So while we don't have to be Paul, we don't have his gifts, we don't have to recreate his life, his ministry, how do you and I sincerely, uh, seriously walk through life with just as much of a love for Jesus Christ. That, that's why we set it up. But here's the amazing thing. He's writing this letter to this church in, in Philippi. Philippi would have been in today like northeast, modern day Greece. How did that church even come to start? How did it really come about? How was it planted? How was it founded? What was its mission? That, <coughs> excuse me, that is what we're gonna look at today. To give you a little bit of setup right, to to the heart of it, is Paul has this mantra in his life. And you see it a lot here. Here's his mantra. Go everywhere. Tell everyone. Go everywhere. Tell everyone. To set this up, what we're going to look at today is we're going to be in the book of Acts. We're going to read a significant chunk, because it's in Acts, you see Paul taking this trek. It's called his second missionary journey. It was going to take him a few years, right, where he basically just takes a lap. In this lap, he's going to go through Europe, right? And on this missionary journey, here's what's going to happen. He's going to stop in a town called Philippi, and we are going to get to see the motley crew that God uses to plant the church that about 11 or 12 years later, he'd write this letter to. Oh man, I love getting to see this. So if you have a Bible, turn Acts 16. We're gonna start in verse 11, and we're gonna read a lot of this narrative. We're gonna go all the way down through 34. We're gonna skip one section. The theme we're gonna see is how the beginning of this church was marked by this mission, go everywhere, tell everyone. And you'll see kind of three key themes throughout it. I wish we had more time to teach more of it. The first one is, man, when we go to share, and specifically when I say tell, what what I mean there is tell them the gospel. 
the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the reality of God in heaven loves me. He wants a relationship with me. But I have this broken tendency to say, I don't want that, to declare my independence from God. The Bible calls it sin. Sin creates separation from him because he's holy, he's perfect, but he doesn't want that separation to exist. So instead of making me have to, have to work my way back to God, to be a better version, to pull myself up by my bootstraps, to, to stop cussing, to stop sleeping around, to, to actually go to church, to actually read my Bible, to, to stop looking at broken images online that I shouldn't or we shouldn't, whatever your version of holiness looks like, because he knew you and I couldn't get there on our own. He knew that you and he knew that I would never be good enough. He sent his son Jesus to die for me. To where his son Jesus comes and his first cry at me is not behave. His first calling is believe. And one day he's coming back. That's, that's the good news. Go everywhere. Tell everyone. And who do you tell? You share with those who already believe you share with those who don't believe, and you share with those you don't even want to believe. Those were the three people that start this motley crew of the Philippian church that we're going to learn so much about. If you got a Bible, open it up, read 11. We're going to go 11 through 15. So, setting sail from Trous, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following days to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. So for those of you who really like geography, it helps me, it brings it to life. We have a slide up here that we want to show you guys, kind of outlining this. So what we've done, we've zoomed in some of the line here. You got you to envision the slides bigger. Paul starts from Jerusalem. He starts working his way north through Asia Minor. It's there, and you see this at the start of 16. He receives what's called the Macedonian call. This vision from God saying, come to Macedonia, preach the good news. And what does Paul do? He starts marking his way. So you see Trous, Samothrace, and then he, he gets on a ship. He would have docked in a port city. He would have had to walk then to Philippi. He ends up in Philippi, right? Philippi there, it, it would have been a Roman colony. So uh, Macedonia was almost like a, a Roman state, a province. It had self-governing authority. Here's why this matters. There's not a lot of Jews. Not a lot of any believers in God of the Old Testament. Much more the understandings of pagan gods, Mount Olympus, all that kind of stuff. So that's the context of where we are. Now, let's keep going. Verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I don't know if you track that. She was a worshiper of God, yet God opened her heart. Huh, we'll see. After she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us. So Paul, he, he's traveling with three other guys here. Right? He's, he's making this trip. Let me, let me recap, because the first theme from this is, is in the reality of go everywhere, tell everyone. You tell the people you don't think you need to tell. 
You share the gospel with people you think already believe the gospel. I know, it's like crazy. Just, just track with me, I'm gonna recap. So Paul sets sail for this. He shows up in Philippi, right? One of the things Paul always did, it was his normal thing. He'd find a synagogue, a place of religious discussion, Jewish faith, where you could go and dialogue and he could tell people the Messiah is Jesus, believe. Shows up in Philippi, there's no synagogue, so what does he do? He, he probably talked to somebody. He said, man, there's no synagogue, but there's some folks who gather down by the river. And so what does Paul do? He takes off, walks down by the river. And what does he find? Not a group of faithfully worshiping men, but a group of women striving to the best of their ability to get after it. You see, you, you couldn't start a synagogue without at least 10 Jewish men. And what does Paul find? Women who, who likely there, they would have opened up the Old Testament, sought to read and sought to understand. And Paul came in. And Paul, with his history of being a rabbi, they would have been like, oh no, come, teach us. As they're sitting there, like envision almost, you walk down by Comal and there's just a group of folks tucked off to the side. And Paul just walks in. He says, okay, God, here's where you brought me. Right, Paul begins to share and there's one lady that stands out. Her name's Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was from a city of Thyatira, another Roman province, or another Roman city, excuse me. See, one of the things we know about Lydia is she was super wealthy, super wealthy. She's a merchant in the fashion industry. She's like Neiman Marcus in a person, probably with plenty of, with all due respect, needless markup. Y'all ever heard that joke? Obviously not, and I didn't tell it right. Okay, but all that to say is, right, that was who she was, this leader in it, because purple, you see, it was the most expensive cloth in Rome there, like, like the people, you couldn't wear purple unless you were extremely wealthy or royal. And so Lydia had money. And then she's described as a worshiper of God. But then the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and she gets baptized. Lydia becomes a Christian. But she goes from worshiper of God to Christian. Lydia likely at this point understood, had a form of belief in the Old Testament God, Yahweh. But what she didn't know is she hadn't fully converted to Judaism. She did not know Jesus Christ. She did not know his love. She didn't know the truth of his story. And what does Paul share with her? Here's how you can have the same relationship. Here's how you can come to know, no, Lydia, it's not by what you do. It's by what you believe. And what happens to what would have been basically the influential, likely strong, gifted leader, female, who'd been hanging out and likely leading the Bible study of church. She becomes a Christian. Why do I think this matters? It shows so much about what the gospel's meant to do is we go everywhere and we tell everyone. The first thing is this, Lydia, man, she was from an influential class. Like she had money. She wasn't Main Street, she was Wall Street. You know what folks with tremendous resources need? Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. You know what folks leading the number one hedge fund in the country to where, to where all of that to say, that their resources, you know what they need? Jesus Christ, the gospel's meant for the rich, the gospel's meant for the poor. It does not matter who, you go everywhere. You tell everyone. The second thing is so many times people can be confu confused in faith to where they think because they attend, they believe in something when in reality, they don't. This is part of my story. 
For the longest time, I thought I was a Christian until I realized I'm not, and I became one that changed my life. I got to hear a dear friend of mine, Louise, share the story. She'd grown up in a denominational church. She'd, she'd walked with God to the best of her ability. She got married. Her husband becomes a pastor. She becomes, as she describes, a sweet pastor's wife, continuing on, going on, growing in all these things. Church is changing, growing, and this family came to visit the church, and she described them. She said there was just something different. This family sat down. What'd they do? They told her the gospel. They told her the love of Jesus Christ. They told her, it doesn't matter. You don't have to put on a front, a facade. You don't have to try to fool the world that you're better than yourself to cloak it. All you gotta do is believe he died for your sins and he rose from the grave to prove it was true. And guess what happened to this pastor's wife? She became a Christian. Going from worship for God to God having opened her heart church. We go everywhere. We tell everyone, and we are meant to tell people, even if you think they believe. Like, if you think about your relationship with Jesus Christ, if it has always felt distant, like it's not really there, you're kind of going through the motions, do you really believe? I have no idea. Only God knows. My responsibility is not to tell you. But church, we go and we share with folks, even if they're a worshiper of God. One of the greatest places to evangelize is Sunday morning at a local church. Fully believe that. Let's keep going. Let's look at another person. Pick up your Bible again. We're going to read 16 through 18. As we were going, oh, so at the end of this, Paul goes, and now he's staying at Lydia's house. Now he's staying at her house, and they're going to take trips back to this riverbank. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. So if we just saw in Lydia, the, the ministry man, what should start, what should mark the people of God, we go everywhere, we tell everyone. Who do we tell? We tell the people we think already believe. And then we tell the people who we know don't believe. So Paul goes and he's hanging out at Lydia's house. And then what he would do is, is he'd start and he'd walk back to this riverbank. Why? Because he wants other people to come to know about Jesus. He wants to keep telling people. And you gotta think, is Paul like giving sermons? No, no. He's having conversations with people. He's simply dialoguing. And on his way, there is a slave girl with a spirit of divination yelling at him. These men are servants of the most high God. They come to proclaim the way of salvation. She was absolutely right. Absolutely true. But let's talk about the slave girl with a spirit of divination. Spirit of divination, if you look at it, in the original, it literally says a python spirit. What, what people would have meant in this Greek society, they would have thought the god Apollos had possessed her, who is a spirit of a python, had possessed her, and then from that possession, she had seemingly fortune-telling abilities. She was a slave girl because she was owned. This was a high value in Greek culture where folks would go and they would consult an oracle. They'd consult a fortune teller before they went to war, before major changes in uh, industry, anything like that. They'd go ask and they'd test the fates to see if it is so. 
this girl was possessed not by a spirit of God, but by a demon. I know, it's like crazy to talk about that in New Braunfels. But she is demon-possessed. Paul knows, okay, that girl doesn't know my Jesus. And on the way to the riverbank, this girl is yelling at Paul, yelling at these guys. These men proclaim the way. They are from the Most High God. Her orthodoxy, what she thought about God, was absolutely true. What's terrible? Orthopraxy, how she lives that out. Here's what's true of demons. They have great orthodoxy. They have terrible, evil, wicked, demonic orthopraxy. That's what they come as. They don't just simply spread lies. Satan is the father of lies, but he doesn't just spread lies. He shares some truth, and then he twists it. Let me give you an example. Right Here's one of the ways I think this happens all the time. God wants you to be happy. That's true. It's totally true. You see, Paul, Paul was happy. I count everything as rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Everything compared to him is great. Happy. Now, here's the twist, though. So, therefore, do whatever makes you happy. If it makes you happy, God would want you to do it. And because God wants you to be happy, that's what he wants you to do. No, man, we've twisted and we've created a lie. Spirit of divination. So Paul's going and ministering, and then he finally, I love that, he gets annoyed. And he turns and he casts the demon out. A couple questions to ask here. Why did Paul get annoyed? Anybody ever had someone like insistently yelling at them for a long period of time? Tough crowd. All right, I got one guy. You guys are all perfect saints. It's annoying. <laughs> That's why. You start gracious, you start patient, and then over time. Next time, especially if you've got a little kid and they start to throw a fit and they're just yelling at you, see how long you last, right? So that's the first reason, I think. The second reason is, is we don't know. The Bible doesn't exactly say. All right, why did Paul not just cast the spirit of divination out right at the beginning? I don't know. Perhaps God told him not to, right? I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Here's a few potential indicators. The town crazy gal, is heralding the coming of Paul. Likely crowds would have come. What would have happened then, though, is here's what's true. These crowds, and this is why I think he got annoyed. These crowds would have seen what she's saying is true. Paul, Paul is not disagreeing with it. Paul's claiming it to be true. And then all of a sudden, as they come and they grow and they listen to Paul, they listen to these other disciples and say, no, teach me the other ways. If what she's saying is true, and he's not refuting it, then what if I just go ask her? I think here Paul did is he saw what Satan tries to do, create broken influence in certain environments where it's not the full truth, it's a partial truth. But from that influence, then use it to lead astray to where Paul finally came to himself and said, hey, that's gotta stop. There can be no influence. And what happens to this gal? She's restored in her right mind. The text doesn't say, did she become a Christian? I think from the context of it, absolutely. I think from the reality, she knew who Paul was, absolutely. But church, the second thing we gotta do is you gotta tell the people you know don't believe in Jesus. Like, who are the folks in your life where you say, there's no way, no way they would believe? You remember the Apostle Paul, the guy who's doing all this? He would have been in the no way category. He was basically a terrorist against Christians, sought to kill them. Now, 
kind of the number one missionary, right? He was in the no way category. Who are those people for you? Your family member? Your neighbor? Your boss? The person at work that you just go with and they are so far gone. God loves everybody and he wants to save everybody and he wants to use you to do it. We go everywhere. We tell everyone. Guys, what I was set to do next was talk to a third character. He's a jailer. It's an amazing moment, this Roman guard and what Paul does because this story is about to take a turn for the worst. But honestly, I want a whole Sunday to teach that part. So guys, here's what I want to share as I, as I take this what was meant to be one part message and make it two parts. I want to share with you guys that you and I have a mission. Here's what is meant to mark a local church. It's a zeal, an honest God. Will you help me? We have to tell people about Jesus. You do that by the way that you live in your actions and you do that by the way that you share that you tell others about the king. And what I mean is literally, you know those awkward conversations where you go out and you like talk to strangers or somebody else initiates a faith thing and all of a sudden it gets kind of weird and there's tension? That's what I'm talking about, right? Except do your best to not be a weirdo. That's what Paul did. That is what Jesus did. That's why he's called us to go into the world and preach the good news. Preach means dialogue. Don't think you gotta come and get a microphone and give a sermon. That's not it. Church, we go everywhere, we tell everyone. We tell the people we think already believe. We tell the people we know don't believe. Next week, we'll get to see how the Apostle Paul, he tells folks that for many of us, if we were to talk about it in our own lives, we'd say, I don't want them to believe. The ones who imprisoned, beat, hurt, held down, violated, if I'm honest, I don't want them to believe. The final thing I want to leave you guys with is just a, it's a question, right? As I, as I commission you guys to go and share your faith, one of the things that always helps me is very practical ways to do that. It's a question. I, I'm telling you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, from this one question, you can start a spiritual conversation with anybody. Here's my question. Have any plans for this weekend? Have any plans for this weekend? Here's why. I think from that one question, you can have a spiritual conversation with anybody. Now, some of you, you have ways where you do this. That's great. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to other people like me who get nervous, right? Here's why. Man, you have any plans for this weekend? I asked this question this past week. Uh, while I was sitting there, getting blood drawn at the doctor's office. Well, yeah, some family, they'll come in, we'll kind of hang out. And then she was kind, because courtesy dictates, right? Well, what about you? Boom, I'm in. Hey, no, I've actually got friends and family coming to town, we're probably gonna hang out. I might go to, they were local here, might go to Cypress Bend Creek, get totally sunburnt, <laughs> right? And then me and my family, and here's great language, surprisingly enough, because for a lot of people it's surprising, it's becoming more and more surprising. We'll attend a church service on Sunday. After that, we're gonna go eat a good meal. I know it may seem strange, but do you yourself, do you happen to have a faith or a spirituality or a belief system? 
Here's my second question. I'm in. All the way from. Have any plans this weekend? All the way to. That didn't seem super awkward. You should come and hang out with me. I think I can honestly do that with strangers in a way where it's not totally awkward. Once I ask the faith question, though, guess what can happen? It can get awkward. And then you know what we're called to do, Christian? Lean in. Tell them about Jesus. Why? We go everywhere. We tell everyone. New Braunfels is full of Lydia's. New Braunfels has far more than what you think. Slave girls, slave men, trapped with a spirit of divination. It is a spiritual war that we engage in. You are a soldier in it, and he calls you to it. So church, go everywhere. Tell everyone. It's what you're meant to do. Join me as we pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of this. I thank you for the reminder in my life of what that means. I thank you for the privilege I have after this to gather with a group of people and and to continue to discipline myself and disciple others in how we do that. We need your help to do it. Lord, I thank you for the gift of a day like this. I thank you for just your Holy Spirit leading in the flexibility of everything from announcements and, and changing messages to make it different. I pray for next week as we talk about a jailer that you would just bless that time, that you go before it and you'd use it and remind my heart the truths that you want to unlock through that. I thank you for your book, your inspired and errant word that leads us all. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, guys, if you're here and you want to learn just a little bit more about the Springs, non-committal, you can go to a class we have called Newcomers, High Level Vision and Values. It's in room A. You'll walk out these doors, turn right. If you want to join us, today's our last time meeting for our Say So class, which is a class on practical evangelism. All that to say is, hey, it was a privilege and a joy hanging out with y'all this morning. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship. Enjoy the start of your summer.